this morning will be in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18. And here, as Paul is writing to the Thessalonians, as he's writing a few admonitions here at the end of the book, he tells them three things in verses 16 through 18, which all go together about their attitude. Three simple statements that if we'd get this down, we'd understand what Thanksgiving ought to be about. It goes further than just saying thank you. It goes further than just saying a blessing before you eat some turkey. Here you see what a thankful attitude looks like. We'll start reading there in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 16 where it says, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Before we go any further, I ask that you join me in prayer. God, we thank you that you show us what such a thankful attitude ought to look like. We see in these three verses you teach us what our attitude ought to be as Christians. An attitude of rejoicing, an attitude of constant conversation with you, and an attitude of thankfulness in both the good times and the bad times. And if we could just get that, we'd be doing far better than we are. We pray this morning that you'd give me the words that need to be spoken. Help us to take this message to apply it in our lives, that this would be your words and not my own. We pray for our church that you would guide us in the direction you would have us to go. We pray especially for those around us who are lost, who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Help us to share the gospel with them before it's too late. We pray for the many on our prayer list that you meet those needs in accordance with your will and that you would help us to understand your will as you do so. We pray that you would help us when we leave here today to not only take what we see here, but what we see throughout your word and to apply it in our lives, that we would live in a way that would bring honor and glory to you, that we would serve you well and be the kind of Christians that you would have us to be. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name because we love him. Amen. Amen. Now, a lot of times, aren't we bad about looking at Thanksgiving as just a holiday? You see it in our day and time, Thanksgiving. When you think of Thanksgiving, most people just think of turkey, don't they? Perhaps even some people refer to it as Turkey Day instead of Thanksgiving Day. You see, even more so, now Thanksgiving is even becoming a day of shopping, isn't it? You see, you probably have got the things in the mail advertising all the Black Friday deals. And now they're starting to roll over into 
Thanksgiving Day where they want you to hurry up and finish eating your Thanksgiving lunch so you can go shopping. And you see stories every year of people getting trampled because they want to go get this stuff because it's on sale. And I've often said, if I was going to go to one of those things, I'd love to just have a seat up above it all so I could watch how foolish people could be. That's not thankfulness, is it? And even those who celebrate Thanksgiving with their family, and how many families is it just, well, we'll say a quick prayer before we eat the turkey. How many families is the thankfulness an afterthought? And yet when you go back, you see it was a holiday founded by people who wanted to express their thanks to Almighty God for what he had done for them in the previous year. And you see that historically it was founded by people who were believers in Christ who wanted to celebrate what God had done for them. You know, I think those folks that were there, those pilgrims that were celebrating that first Thanksgiving, they probably understood what these three verses meant, didn't they? They probably had a good grasp of what Thanksgiving was about and knew that it wasn't just a once a day or once on the calendar type thing, but it was an attitude of life that they ought to be practicing. We see three things in our passage this morning about the attitude that a believer ought to have. The first thing we see in verse 16 is that believers are to be joyful. Look at what he says there. He says, rejoice evermore. Now he's telling them basically they need to, from here on out, they need to be people who rejoice. Now is he telling them that they constantly have to be happy? Is everything in their life going to put a smile on their face? Absolutely not. This is coming from Paul, who suffered much. He's telling them, in 1 Thessalonians about all the persecutions that they're going to face, all the problems that are coming. You know, it, there's a lot of things that aren't happy things that he talks about here in 1 Thessalonians. Some are and some aren't. But yet, he says, rejoice evermore. What Paul is instructing the Thessalonians is that they need to have an attitude of rejoicing. They need to be joyful people. People who, regardless of what happens, can put a smile on their face and be thankful. People who can be glad. In good times and in bad times. People who can be excited at what God has done for them. 
even when things are less than positive. Now we know that joyfulness is a contagious thing, isn't it? We all know if you're around somebody that's just absolutely a joyful person, it just kind of puts a smile on your face, doesn't it? When we first moved to St. Augustine, I tell you, my neighbor used to put a smile on my face. When we lived up there beside the Hineses and Jason would be out and about, And part of the reason he always put a smile on my face is he was just always so joyful. It didn't matter what was going on. Jason had a smile on his face. He was just always, by his nature, a happy person. You could hear him over there about every morning, about 9 or 10 o'clock, when he'd get to playing with that dog, and he'd just get so excited. He was joyful. And we moved out here to the parsonage. I tell you, I kind of missed every morning hearing his joyful noises over there when he'd get all excited playing with that dog. Because joyfulness is a contagious thing, isn't it? And so what is Paul telling the Thessalonians here? He says, rejoice evermore. He says, you ought to be joyful people. You ought to be people who are joyful regardless of the situation. He said, from here on out. He doesn't say, you know, if things are going good in your life, rejoice. He doesn't say if things are positive in your life, rejoice. He doesn't say to be joyful only in what you want is what happens. He says rejoice evermore. Now we can rejoice in all situations, can't we? I know back in 2012, when my own grandfather passed away, it wasn't a situation that most people would have said was a joyful situation. I had multiple people ask me how in the world I was going to stand up there and preach his funeral service. And I tell you why, is because that was a situation that I could have joy in. I knew that regardless of the fact that I'd love to have had him there for years to come, because I loved calling and talking to him, getting his advice on everything, asking him how to do things. But I knew where he went. I could have joy in that. I knew that he had done much for the Lord there in his last year or so alive, and I could have joy for that. There were things that I could find joy in, even in that bad situation. And that is what he's telling the Thessalonians here. Rejoice evermore. Look for the things that you can be joyful in and be joyful in them. You see, Paul practiced that himself. He wasn't one of those people that's do as I say and not as I do. He was more of a practice what you preach kind of guy. Because look at him when he's in prison. You know, he was joyful that he was in chains. He was joyful 
that he was in prison. And really wasn't too worried about getting out because he had a captive audience with all these men who were holding him captive, didn't he? They had to sit there and listen to him. Now that's finding joy regardless of the situation. And that's the way we ought to be as Christians. We ought to be people who are looking for what we can find joy in regardless of what is going on in our lives. We see, first of all this morning, that we can be joyful. It doesn't matter if things are going good in our life. It doesn't matter if it feels like our life is falling apart. We should be joyful. We should be looking for the things that we can take joy in what God has done in our lives. And rejoice for those things. So I promise you, if nothing else, we can rejoice that we know Jesus Christ is our Savior. We've got something to rejoice about 24-7-365. If Jesus Christ is our Savior. And I guarantee you, if we think about it, we've got a whole lot more that we can rejoice for than just that. We see believers can be joyful. Each and every one of us can be joyful. But we see something else that goes along with that. Not only does he tell us that believers are to be joyful, in verse 17 he says that believers are to be prayerful. Now three simple words he says here. Pray. And he says pray without ceasing. Now we ought to know this verse pretty well. As a matter of fact, you'll notice for the past two or three years as I've typed the bulletins up right there at the top of the prayer list, this might look a little familiar, mightn't it? Pray without ceasing. The first thing he's saying is pray. What are they to be doing? They're to talk to God. How should they do that? Well, Jesus gives us an example of it. In the Lord's Prayer, he gives a model prayer. He tells his disciples, pray then like this, doesn't he? He tells them how we ought to pray. But here we see something else about the way we ought to pray. He says, without ceasing. Is our prayer life supposed to be, like for most of us it is, a thing that we just do when it's convenient? A thing that we just do whenever we've got a few extra minutes on our hands? A thing that perhaps many do just when it's Sunday morning they're in church and somebody calls on them even. No, he says pray without ceasing. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to walk around with our eyes closed and our heads bowed 24-7, 365. But that means that we ought to be in a constant conversation with our Lord. Pray without ceasing. Paul is instructing the Thessalonians here to have a constant prayerful attitude. To be people who are constantly going to God. Constantly talking with him. 
constantly taking their problems and their concerns and their thankfulness and everything that's on their mind to the Lord. <coughs> what he's getting at here is that God ought not be the one we just call on whenever everything's wrong. Not just whenever, oh, well, I need something. And that's the only time we call on And you see that a lot. Instead, he's telling us that we need to be people who have a constant conversation with our God, pray without ceasing. It's not just a hit and miss thing. Now, it's a whole lot better if you have an ongoing conversation with somebody than it is if you call them when you need them, isn't it? I tell you, there's some folks that I know that they call me when something's wrong. If my phone rings and I see that name and that number come across my phone, I know they're calling me for help. Because they probably aren't going to call and talk to me unless there's something that they need out of me. And all of us probably know people like that. And we probably, when we look at that, we grumble and gripe a little bit, don't we? It aggravates us, if we're honest. Because we know that's all they're doing is calling for help. But there's other people that we know probably just are calling to talk. I know I call my grandmother pretty well every day. Every once in a while I miss calling her here and there, but I call her every day to check on her. And she gets all excited that I call just to talk. Tell her what I've done that day and ask her how things are going with her and how she's feeling that day and talk for five or ten minutes. And it's a conversation. I'm not just calling her because I want something out of her. Now, which one of those is more pleasant? Obviously, calling just to talk, isn't it? But yet, how do we often approach God? How are we with God? Most of the time, if we're honest, we're, we're more along the lines of that person that calls because something's wrong. Hey, Lord, I need this. Hey, Lord, I, I need that. Hey, Lord, can you take care of this for me? Hey, Lord, can you do that for me? Amen. And then, whenever God takes care of our problems, we just decide, well, you know, I ain't got anything wrong right now. I'm not in a big hurry to talk to him again. I really want to sit down and watch my TV show. I really want to sit down and read my book. I really want to play on the internet. Get on Facebook. I don't really want to take time to pray. We put it off. Till the next time something goes wrong. And then where are we at? Right again. And that's wrong. That's the exact kind of attitude that he's telling us not to have. He says pray without ceasing. Now, we can be people who pray without ceasing. Prayer doesn't have to be a head bowed and eyes closed kind of thing, does it? 
I promise you some of my best prayer time is behind the wheel of my pickup. Turn the radio down and talk to God while I'm driving down the road. And I promise you that wouldn't be a good place to have your head bowed or your eyes closed. But you know, here's my prayers. Just as well then as he does other times. Now, I can thank him for what he's doing for me. I can take my concerns and things that are on my mind and talk to him about it. As I go about my day, I can talk to God while I'm doing other things. We talk to other people while we're doing other things. We all probably have sat there and worked and had a conversation with somebody while we're working on something. Why can we not do that with God? Why do we think that we need to relegate God to that five minutes when we get up or Five minutes before we go to bed, or probably if we're more honest, 30 seconds when we get up, 30 seconds when we go to bed, or just on Sundays, or just when something goes wrong. Instead, we ought to be people who pray without ceasing. We ought to be people who are conversationalists with God instead of people who call God whenever something's wrong. That's what he's telling us here ought to be our attitude before God. We see this morning not only that we can be joyful, but we can be prayerful people. We can be people who constantly talk to God. People who don't just call on God whenever everything's wrong or because we feel like we need to give him 30 seconds every morning, but people who are conversationalists with him. People who have a constant conversation with God so that he knows who we are. He knows what's going on in our life. We've talked to him about it. We know what he wants us to do. We're praying without ceasing. That's where we ought to be. But then we see something else in verse 18. Besides being joyful and besides being prayerful, we see that believers are to be thankful. He says in verse 18, In everything give thanks. He doesn't say in the good things. He doesn't say only on the things you like. He says in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. What's God's will? That we're people who rejoice, that we're people who pray, and that we're people who are thankful. In everything, giving thanks. And we're always thankful. Notice he doesn't say one day a year, give thanks, does he? He doesn't say right before you eat, give thanks. We, when we say somebody's giving thanks, most of the time we mean that little short prayer. We've taught Summer to say a blessing before she eats. And she'll sit there and do a little short prayer. Lord, thank you for this food. Amen. <coughs> but is that the only thing we ought to be thankful for? Are we thankful when things go wrong? 
it's not easy to be thankful when you're sitting on the road with a flat tire, is it? It's not easy to be thankful when your car breaks down, is it? It's not easy to be thankful when you get a big bill in the mail. It's not easy to be thankful when somebody's causing you problems. There's a lot of things that make us not want to be thankful, aren't there? And if we're honest, most of us have a hard time giving thanks when it's not the things that we're thankful for in our minds. But he doesn't just say, in certain things, give thanks. He doesn't just say, in the good things, give thanks. He says, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything, give thanks. Now, if we're honest, we've seen what this less than thankful attitude looks like. You want to see a real good example of it? Wait about a month from now. Christmas time rolls around, right? Watch these kids when they get presents. Certain presents they'll be real excited about. Certain presents they'll probably run up and tell everybody thank you for. But watch what happens when they get that toy that really doesn't excite them. Watch what happens when they get that toy they've already got that one. Somebody already gave them and they're, I already have that. How many of us have heard that out of a little kid before? How many of us have heard a little kid grumble, that's not what I wanted? How many grown-ups have you seen ask for the receipt for the Christmas present? You know, if we're honest, just like those little kids, we struggle sometimes with being thankful, don't we? You see folks at Thanksgiving will make them a big list of all they're thankful for. Notice what's on those lists. It's always the good things, isn't it? You don't ever hear people say, well, I'm thankful my pickup broke down. I'm thankful I got a flat tire the other day and was five minutes late to work. I'm thankful that I'm experiencing this difficulty. I'm thankful that I'm experiencing that difficulty. But you know we ought to be thankful for the bad things as well as the good things. Because I promise you, Scripture tells us that those bad things are really good things, doesn't it? Look at Romans chapter 8. He'd been talking about prayer and how the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. And even when we don't know what to pray, you know, He intercedes, He takes care of that. And then it says in verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. Verse 
It says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. And I could go on and on and on. You know, that sounds like everything that happens in our lives as believers in Christ is for our good, doesn't it? We don't think about that. Or if we do, I don't think we think about it as much as we should. All things work together for the good of those that love God. Those of us that believe in Jesus Christ, everything's working together for our good. You know, when that flat tire happens, maybe something was about to happen up the road. And if we hadn't got that flat tire, we'd have been in the wrong place at the wrong time. Think about Paul and his persecutions. If he hadn't been thrown in jail, there'd have been a lot less people that knew about the Lord, wouldn't there? Think about that old jailer we see who comes out Sirs, what must I do to be saved over there in Acts? If believers in Christ weren't in prison, how would he have known how to be saved? Once again, I think back to my own grandfather. Found out he had stage 4 lung cancer. Could have just sat there and gave up, but what did he do? He was telling people about Jesus more than I'd ever seen him in his life. You know, I think the Lord used that, and I'm thankful for what the Lord did with that. That's kind of hard to say that I'm thankful that that's what happened. Because I watched that man become more on fire for the Lord than he ever had been in the rest of his life. That's something I can be thankful for. And that's what God's trying to tell us here is that we ought to be thankful for everything. You know, if we're people who are rejoicing in the bad things as well as the good things, if we're people who are prayerful and talk to Him and know that He's taking care of us, know that He's listening to what we say, when those bad things happen, we can be thankful for them just like we can the good things. We might not understand how they're working out for good, you might not understand what the good is in them. But I promise you there is. And I promise you that God wants us to be thankful for them. You know, it would be good if when we're being thankful on Thanksgiving, if we're telling God, well, thank you for some of these bad things too. I don't know why you made them happen, but I'm thankful you did. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. 
we see this morning we can be consistently thankful. People who are thankful in the lows as well as the highs. People who are thankful in the bad times and not just the good ones. People who are thankful not just one day a year, but every day of the year. That's what we need to be. We can be consistently thankful. We see this morning three simple verses. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. We see that he tells us that believers are to be joyful. From here on out, we ought to be joyful. We ought to be people who find the good in things. People who find something to be joyful about. People who pray without ceasing. People who don't just call on God whenever things are going wrong in our life or whenever we want something, but people who constantly talk with our Lord. And we ought to be thankful people. We ought to be people who are thankful for the good and for the bad. People who are thankful not just one day a year, but every day of the year. People who find things to be thankful about in everything that happens in our life. That's what we ought to be. What we can take away from this is that we can be followers of Christ who exhibit a right attitude. You know, we see three things that ought to characterize the attitude of the believer, don't we? Joyful, prayerful, and thankful. And the only way that we can be joyful, prayerful, and thankful is because we know Jesus Christ is our Savior. You know, it goes back to what I read over there in Romans. It says, we know that all things work together for good, but it says, to them that love God, to them who are the called, according to his purpose, for whom he did know, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What's it telling us? These people that everything's working together for the good for them are people who believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Lost? They don't have anything to be thankful for, I'm sorry. Lost person may have better things than I do. They might have the nicest cars and the fanciest clothes, pretty house, But what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his soul? You know, I've got Jesus, and that's all I need. That's enough to be thankful for right there. That's enough to be joyful for right there. That's enough to make me want to talk to God every day right there. For a lost person... They ought to want to have that kind of a relationship with God. To be able to be people who are joyful, prayerful, and thankful. And for the believer, we need to work on our attitude, don't we? We ought to desire to be people that are like this. 
people who model what we see here in these three verses. People who rejoice, people who pray all the time, and people who are thankful. That shouldn't just be our once a year thing, but that should be an everyday thing in the life of the believer. 